Compsognathus. At the time of its discovery, this was the smallest dinosaur. There's a couple that are known to be a bit smaller now. This guy was a tiny, tiny little dinosaur. You, if you've seen the Jurassic Park franchise, it made its debut in the second movie or in the first book. These were very, very tiny, about a foot tall, maybe two feet tall as adults. They were probably very quick. They were probably covered in feathers. These probably looked very much like birds. Hello, I'm Jim Fox, and welcome to the Lumen Innovation Podcast, where we shine a light on innovation, creativity, entrepreneurship, and the creative people who make our world a better and more interesting place to live. This episode of the Lumen Innovation Podcast is brought to you in part by the Birdall Pecan Candy and Gift Company. 20 different flavors of pecans to choose from. Whether you want in-shell, cracked, chocolate, or candied pecans, the Birdall Pecan Candy and Gift Company has you covered. Don't forget about their pecan pies and fudge as well. If you live anywhere in Central Texas, stop by their shop at 2626 Highway 71 West in Cedar Creek. If you live anywhere else, keep in mind that they mail pecans all over the country. Give them a call at 1-800-518-3870 or go to birdall.com. That's B-E-R-D-O-L-L.com. All of the pecan products are grown, prepared, and cooked right there in Cedar Creek by the Birdall Pecan Candy and Gift Company. Welcome to the Luminovation Podcast. I'm Jim Fox, and uh, if you guys have been around kids at all, you know that kids go through phases, anywhere from one or two days to a couple weeks long, or it's maybe race cars and fire trucks and things of that nature. Well, our guest today is still going through a phase, a childhood phase, and he's almost 20 years into this phase. His phase is dinosaurs. Our guest today is Austin Nunez of the Dinosaur Park in Cedar Creek, Texas. Welcome to the show, Austin. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, I'm glad to have you as well. Where are we today? So today we are at the Dinosaur Park. Um, we're about to go on a bit of an excursion through a wooded trail. It's a half a mile long. We're going to see 31 life-size dinosaurs and other prehistoric animals, some other little exhibits along the way. And yeah, we're just gonna talk about dinosaurs today. How did this get started? So the dinosaur park opened 14 years ago. It was a just sort of passion project from my parents. We used to go exhibits, to go to exhibits like this in Utah, where I grew up. <laughs> I just dropped the, uh, the paperwork. That's okay. <laughs> Keep on going, Austin. So we used to go to exhibits like this in Utah, where I grew up, where I was born. Um, and when we moved to Texas, we didn't really have anything similar to it. So my parents had the crazy idea to try their hand at making their own and 15 years later we're still here so I'd say it's working so far. Yes yeah, so you've, uh, you've grown up in here. What is your earliest memory of this place? My earliest memory is probably getting the dinosaurs in. I remember there were a couple like just seeing a couple of our earliest one. We started with six and like I said we're now at 31 and I have memories of seeing some of our first dinosaurs like our T-Rex, our Velociraptor, like uh, seeing some of those come in, getting worked on, having my dad put them up. I, Remember that a little well. Okay, so we just walked through the uh, the kind of the entry building, the gift store, the the entrance, to where you pay a few bucks to come in. We're now here at the start of the trail. We're gonna be walking through the woods and uh, having to talk about what we see. 
right here, the guardians of the trail are two big old sauropods, but not quite life-size sauropods, right? Yes, these would be two juvenile brachiosaurs. You'll see the full-sized one later on the tour. And every, once we go onto the trail, once we pass this little threshold, everything on the trail with, I believe, one exception is life-sized. And then most of those things, most of the non-life-sized ones, even outside of the trail, are relatively clearly marked. Okay, and these two things are maybe, I don't know, 15, 20 feet tall, I'd say? Yes. Uh, and what, what fraction of uh, real size do you think that might be? Half size, quarter size? Um, the adults get 50 feet tall, so these, these are maybe a, maybe a quarter size, about, roughly. Okay. Still very large and welcoming, friendly. <laughs> I'm sure not all dinos back in the day were so friendly. Not all of them. One thing that if uh, someone is going to come and take a tour here, it might be handy to pick up the Ice Biosaurus sheet. Talk about the Ice Biosaurus program you've got going on. So one thing that we have going through the trail, we don't just have dinosaurs, we have a variety of other exhibits. Um, one of them is our biggest interactive exhibit, which is an Ice Biosaurus checklist. It's a little numbered sheet, like a numbered list of items throughout the woods. It's like an I Spy game, as the name may suggest. You look where some dinosaur toes are, are pointing, you find some hidden objects in the woods, and they get harder as they progress. There's 15 of them through the trail. It's all about getting the kiddos uh, hooked on education early, right? Mm-hmm, absolutely. Speaking of education, the very first thing we see here is uh, a bit educating for me the first time I was here, is that what I'm seeing is a velociraptor, but it is nothing like we would see in the Jurassic Park movie. Talk about it. Yes, our first dinosaur on the trail is velociraptor, and it's kind of intentionally placed that way. Velociraptor in the popular media has been made by Jurassic Park to be this man-sized predator with a big boxy head, hyper-intelligence that can hunt in groups and solve problems. In reality, they were about fox or coyote-sized. They had very slim heads and small snouts. They, weren't very, they were pretty lightly built as opposed to particularly muscular. They were probably covered in feathers. Ours isn't, but... They're probably feathered dinosaurs. This has all the features you would expect to, or what you remember from the movie, but it is much smaller. It is probably from the ground to the to the top of its back is maybe two feet, perhaps 30 inches at most. And uh, it does look mean and ferocious, but way smaller than you might expect. But that's a Velociraptor. Yes. Let's uh, keep on uh, cruising down the trail here and see what we see. It's a nice sunny day here in Central Texas. We're in Cedar Creek, just a little bit outside of Austin. A uh, nice sunny day. Lots of sun, a little bit of wind, and a perfect temperature. Here is Ice Biosaurus number one. What do we got here? So we're looking for an Albertosaurus skull. This first one's relatively easy just to get people acquainted with the name of the game, what, what everything's going to be like for the rest of the uh, trail. You have a numbered footprint on the ground that tells you what you're looking for. We're starting to do with signs. There's, this one has a sign next to it. The, don't, the rest don't have that quite yet. Here you're looking for the Albertosaurus skull. It's a little smaller than a Tyrannosaurus skull, but very similarly built. They were very closely related dinosaurs. Yeah, and these things are kind of hidden off in the woods here. This one's maybe 20 feet or so off the trail and leaning up against a tree. Fairly easy to see on this one, but the uh, the whole park is really neat because it's just got things in their natural setting out in the woods. It's, uh, it's really neat, a totally different experience than what you'd see in a museum. Yes, we've got all kinds of different little exhibits, like we're coming up upon the Megalodon jaws. This is just a... Uh, just the set of the jaws of the uh, largest prehistoric shark to ever live. It's a little embellished because it's built like an arch rather than the full complete set of jaws, but it makes a nice photo opportunity. Yeah, this is set up like an entryway arch and uh, you could walk through it or stand in the middle and get a picture. Definitely uh, gives you a, a sense of uh, at least the scale of some of the, the animals back in the day. Speaking of back in the day, uh, is it true? I've heard the rumors that dinosaurs are still with us, is that correct? Yes and no. Um, 
a lot of scientists consider birds as a, as a type of dinosaur. Birds did, of course, originate from dinosaurs as is the current scientific understanding. The birds and dinosaurs split off in the Jurassic era about 120 million years ago. A lot of modern taxonomy does consider birds as a type of dinosaur. All of our modern birds under certain uh, scientific understanding are considered to be actual dinosaurs. Okay, and the one we're in front of now, there's no doubt at all it's a dinosaur, right? Yes, this one is a Stegosaurus. So this is one of the bone-headed dinosaurs. It had a, it's built very much like a theropod or a carnivore, but um, this one was, was a plant eater. It stood on um, two powerful legs, had its arms free, and its most defining feature it was it had a large dome on its head, a large crested, like a bony plate that was up to three inches thick at points that it would likely use for um, fighting rival Stegosaurus. Like modern rams, how they sort of non-fatally non clash for territory or mates. Yeah, in a sense, it kind of reminds me of the old school motorcycle helmets, the, uh, the skull cap helmets. And you've got this one painted blue. Any indication that that is the real color? No, most dinosaurs, it's very difficult or somewhat impossible to discover colors. There are some exceptions. Usually the dinosaurs that we do know the colors of had feathers, so we're able to get some pigmentation or at least patterning off of some feather impressions if we're very lucky. But that science is still underway. We don't know the color of very many dinosaurs. I think there's less than a dozen that we actually know the true colors of. Got it, okay. And that Stegosaurus was maybe four, four and a half feet tall. Yeah. Kind of a modest sized dinosaur. But on the other hand, right here next to us is not a modest sized dinosaur. This is the Ankylosaurus. Yes. This was, this is the first particularly big dinosaur on our trail. The first dinosaur on the dinosaur trail that's bigger than a person. So this was an armored dinosaur, another one of the armored herbivores. And this thing was built like a prehistoric tank. It had armor on its eyelids. It had bony plating all over its back. Pretty much the only weakness that it had was its underbelly, which was very, very difficult to get to because it had a defensively use of bone club at the end of its tail that it could swing to deter predators and probably take out anything that would reasonably threaten it. I'm trying to think of what animal today this might be a larger version of, but it's maybe 12 to 15 feet tall at the top of its back, its mouth feature, very reminiscent of what you might expect to see on a bird. The tail has just got a big old club hanging off the back of it that would make for a rather intimidating and effective weapon. Yeah, quite a big beast. I don't know, maybe an armadillo, perhaps? But just, just blown up really big? Yes, this thing, this thing would be kind of like an armadillo or a pangolin, but much, much bigger and with a much more effective offensive weapon. Yeah, definitely an intimidating looking uh, creature. And taking a, another hike down the trail here. Hey there, I, it just occurred to me that you sometimes have events here that are uh, not prehistoric critters, but you sometimes uh, take part in the Pokemon game. Talk about that. So we've done some just different events, just whatever we can. Um, one thing that we take advantage of out here is that we have a lot of connectivity with Pokemon Go. I believe 11 of our dinosaurs are Pokestops and three of them are gyms. Okay. Which, so we, we do get a decent amount of the Pokemon player base, so we've tried to do some events where showing your, your, uh, your in-game trainer ID gets you um, discounts on admission, um, and we place lures throughout our park for the, uh, the Pokemon players. That's definitely a good thing to, to bring in even uh, more kids. Uh, so that's definitely uh, making use of the new technology, but let's back up 200 million years ago and talk about the Coelophysis. So this guy is another very, he looks similar in build to Velociraptor, 
He doesn't have that sickle claw that Velociraptor has on his foot, that signature killing claw. And this one's just a little bit bigger than the, the uh, Velociraptor as well. But this dinosaur was very significant despite its relatively frail and, and unassuming appearance because this dinosaur and dinosaurs like it were pretty much the ancestor to all of the theropod dinosaurs that you'll see later and even before on the trail. This is one of the earliest theropods that gave way to T-Rex, Allosaurus, Carnotaurus, Velociraptor, everything pretty much came after this guy. So all of your uh, animals here, or, or models, have uh, a bit of a sign in front of them like you might expect uh, at a museum or something. I'm going to read one of uh, the lines here. The Coelophysis skull became the first dinosaur fossil to, to be taken into space in January of 1998 when the Space Shuttle Endeavor carried a specimen from the Carnegie Museum to the Mir Space Station. So this dino's been in space. Yes, this was the first dinosaur fossil that went into space. Um, which is yet another significant thing about it. Yeah, the, uh, definitely cool. So this thing is uh, maybe four or so, four and a half feet tall. Very slender looking, but I wouldn't want a pack of these things on my back. It looks like it could do some damage, although it's not necessarily big and intimidating in size. It just yes. looks kind of ferocious. Yeah, they, they, these things, we're not sure if they hunted in packs, but they did live in family groups. They lived in large um, groups of coelophysis, up to 40 of them. And we know that because of some fossil evidence of bone beds because they, um, they were all wiped out at once by like a river or a, a natural disaster. Okay. It is getting fall here in Texas and all the leaves are coming down and uh, so you'll hear some rustling of the, of the leaves, but that helps to uh, kind of set the scene for you that Absolutely. we are outdoors walking through the woods on a nice, nice day here in front of, what is this critter? This is Dimetrodon. This is actually our first creature on the trail that came before the dinosaurs and was not a dinosaur. Dimetrodon was a synapsid, a group of mammal-like reptiles that gave way to mammals. This is more of an ancestor to humans and other mammals than it is to a dinosaur. And this thing is very noteworthy. It looks like a large lizard or crocodile, but it has an impressive sail on its back that makes up most of its height. It's probably double the size of the actual animal. Yeah, the body of it is maybe 18 inches or so off the ground, the top of the body of it, but the sail is another two and a half feet probably on top of that. Uh, but yeah, it looks like a, a large version of maybe a modern day lizard that you might get at a pet store, but, but much, much larger. And as you said, this is actually before the dinosaurs. This was 270 some million years ago and the dinosaurs started about 250 million years ago? Yes. There's some evidence that these did make, um, these or um, Demetrons or maybe subspecies did make it to the early Triassic, but they didn't live long after that. They may have coexisted briefly with dinosaurs. Okay, the Triassic was 250 up to about 200 million years ago, and then after that was Jurassic. Jurassic. And that lasted until when? The Jurassic lasted until about 145 million years ago, which was the beginning of the Cretaceous, which lasted until about 65 or 66 million years ago. What was the, uh, do you know what the definition, or the what defined those periods, what made them unique or different, or put the timelines on them? Um, I'm not entirely certain the exact, uh, the exact uh, specifications. I do know a lot of them were separated by um, either, either minor or major extinction events. Okay. Yeah, and yeah, I think... Usually extinction events tended to define time periods, at least retroactively. So like the, um, the Cretaceous to Tertiary, that 65 to the next time period, the Tertiary period, that was the dinosaur-killing asteroid that separated by that extinction event. The uh, Permian-Triassic extinction event separates those two, which was the most devastating extinction event in history, wiped out 90% of all life on the planet. Yeah, um, that's, that's before, amazing to try to, the dinosaurs to, try to think of that happening now would be kind of a mind-blowing experience if 90% of all the species on Earth went away. Absolutely. Uh, that would be amazing. 
Sometimes all that we have left of the animals we uh, learn about are not only skeletons, but sometimes it's only footprints. Talk about the footprints that are in front of us here. So we're looking at a pair of Acrocanthosaurus footprints, and these are actually casts of um, the footprints that are found in Glenrose, Texas. And these, these footprints are relatively popular both in the tourist attractions and paleontological community because it's a very well-preserved fossil bed. You can see a group or at least more than one Acrocanthosaurus. These uh, footprints are uh, they're separated by about five or six feet and each of the footprints are cast in concrete and they're maybe 18 to 20 inches or so across. This is a rather large uh, large paw print. This animal is, uh, is bound to be a rather big one. Absolutely. Acrocanthosaurus was one of the largest carnivores. It was I think maybe fifth place in the uh, largest dinosaurs, uh, carnivorous dinosaurs to ever live. Talk it's about the certain. baby Apatosaurus. So this one is our first uh, little picture pal. Most of the dinosaurs are off in the woods, um, separated from the trails by chains. We don't have people go out there because there is the danger of our natural hazards, poison oak, cactus, ants, all that. But this one is our first one, our picture pal. You can go up to it, touch it, feel it, actually get to be right up close next to it. And this is a baby Apatosaurus. This is our little foot. This is the um, the juvenile sauropod that was the uh, inspiration for the Lend for Time series. And we have right next to it, speaking of feet, the footprint of the adult one, which almost encompasses like maybe a, maybe a third of the actual dinosaur. Yeah, it's a very unique <laughs> footprint with uh, the big toe sticking out uh, very prominently. And uh, that was pretty much unique to all sauropods, right? Or most of them? Yes, sauropods were thought to use that claw possibly either for defense or for marking territory. There's multiple, multiple theories as to what that could have been used for. Those are the two most prominent ones that I've read up on. There's anything from mating to marking territory for defensive purposes, for possibly digging up roots. Okay. You mentioned Glen Rose as one of the uh, kind of the prominent uh, archaeological digs in, uh, or at least I don't know if they do digs there, but at least it's got, got some of the artifacts from, from back in the day. But also in Texas here we're, is home to uh, Bob Bacher. Do you know much about him? Yes, Bacher's a very, very well-respected scientist in the uh, paleontology community. Yeah, so he currently- he's done some work on the uh, Jurassic Park films. He's, he's a big shot. Okay, sure. and I think he is uh, currently uh, on staff with the Houston Museum of Natural Science as their paleontologist over there is my understanding. But he's been around, he's probably up in his mid-70s and been doing this all, all his life and done some groundbreaking discoveries. Mm -hmm. uh, speaking of groundbreaking, this animal before us would break a ton of ground. Talk about it. So we are standing in front of one of the more well-known and popular dinosaurs, Triceratops. This was a very, very big animal had a lot of mass to it, very well protected. It had three horns on its head and a bone frill to protect its neck. This thing was pretty much built to defend against the large predators like T-Rex. It lived around in, in the same place and time period as Tyrannosaurus rex. We know that they had a predator-prey relationship. These okay. things had to be very well protected. To... And this thing is probably 12 feet or so tall at its uh, hind uh, hips, perhaps, and the uh... The, the big three horns that we all know about. Uh, let's see, the sign here, the sign says it is seven tons and uh, 28 feet long. It's a rather large animal and uh, a plant eater, animal eater? This one was a plant eater. There are some theories that it may have eaten some small animals to like supplement its diet, but it was mostly a plant eater. It had a very large beak that you see to strip plants and leaves from um, bushes. And then it had uh, some molars in the back to chew them up. Okay, we've seen a couple of the animals so far on the trail that have that are big, large animals like you'd expect to see 
maybe the size and shape of really large mammals, but their head and, and beaks are very bird-like. That seems to definitely hint at some bird lineage in the dinosaurs, huh? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, this is a very large animal. That would, uh, uh, man, I don't know if you even took that on with a tank. <laughs> that, that animal may be bigger than a tank. Yes, these things, a lot of, a lot of media likes to depict the plant-eating dinosaurs as, despite how defensive and massively built they were, um, as very weak and always just the prey item for a, a big T-Rex or something, but these things could have been very, very dangerous. I see a number four on the ground. What does that mean? We are looking right here. We're seeing another one of our iSpyosaurus checklists. This particular one is for a Silurosaurus, a prehistoric lizard that was thought to have had wings. Okay, and this thing is uh, actually climbing a tree. It's uh, maybe 15 feet off the ground and it's a couple feet long, green, big wings, might look like uh, dragonfly wings, but it is a lizard of some sort, it seems. Yes. Uh, this is definitely a, a neat thing that you're seeing the animals presented in a way that they may very well have lived. Uh, it's, uh, you know, when, when, when the paleontologists are digging up bones, they can get some idea of how the animals look, but that really doesn't give them any indication of how they lived. Yes. What, do you, what do you know about that field? So that's what I particularly would specialize in, or what I would say I would specialize in when it comes to paleontology. Um, a lot of the work that goes into here, to here at the dinosaur park goes into understanding how these dinosaurs lived, who they might have lived with, what they might have done for feeding habits, how they might have just lived their daily lives. Um, and that's, it's difficult to get an exact idea, but it's quite easy to get a, a very broad idea of how the dinosaurs lived, looking at their teeth, looking at how their legs were set up, looking at how, whether they were bipedal or quadrupedal, what kind of unique adaptations they had. It usually gives you a very broad idea very quickly of what they were specialized for. Okay. What niche they filled in their environment. And this animal before us now, it seems to be very specialized, the Dinonychus. Yes. So Dinonychus is, at first glance, exactly what you would expect in a Jurassic Park raptor. This is, a, the, this is the large headed, relatively man-sized, large raptor, dromaeosaurid carnivore. I notice its front arms are way longer than you would expect for a, for a bipedal dinosaur. Initially, it was thought that these were, uh, were arboreal, that they lived in the trees. Um, that's not really a very well-accepted theory anymore. But these uh, did have incredibly long arms, incredibly long legs, incredibly sharp claws. So it's easy to understand how you would make that assumption that they did live in the trees, that they were climbing creatures. But it's, thought that the, it's currently thought that these were ground-based animals and that they were pack hunters. We, this is the only member that I'm aware of of the dromaeosaur family, the raptors, that hunted in groups. Okay. Yeah, you're, you're mentioning the kind of the evolution of us learning and understanding about these animals. Uh, there's only been about 700 or so dinosaurs discovered and classified, is that mm -hmm. right? Yeah, there's, we don't, despite all the stuff that you see in the movies, like people saying, oh, we know dinosaurs had feathers now, T-Rex had feathers. There's even stuff coming out now like, okay, maybe T-Rex didn't have feathers. Maybe this dinosaur did, maybe this dinosaur didn't. There's so much that we don't know, just even, even about the dinosaurs that we do have more specimens of. There's yeah. so, so little that we have discovered. Yeah, I'm gonna perhaps uh, blow your mind a bit with numbers here, but, but the, so the dinosaurs lived for somewhere around 150 million years or so, or I guess it's, yeah, 150, 170 million years, somewhere around in there. 
And we only know 700 of the species that lived in that entire time. Uh, right now, I think, scientists think that there's probably one to two million species living on Earth right now. Yes. So if you kind of take the one or two million that are around right now in today's world, and that we only know 700 or so of those that lived for 170 million years, that tells us how tiny of a fraction of a bit, and yeah, we, we just know much about these things. Yeah, fossilization is just something that's so incredibly rare to happen in the natural world. It's It takes an incredible amount of just bare luck to get um, a, a deceased animal to fossilize. And then it takes even more luck, even rarer chances for us to find it. So you just, the odds are stacked against us to find what dinosaurs, there may be some dinosaurs that never fossilized, that were either too small or in, in, too, um, in too harsh of a climate that just like we'll, we will never know about because we don't have those fossils. Yeah, and here's a really uh, crazy looking one with a really unique head, talk about it. So this is Parasaurolophus. This is a large hadrosaur dinosaur. It was a plant eater, had a sort of duck bill, a flat, another beak dinosaur. It sort of had a flat um, duck-like, I guess. That's the best word, honestly. Beak with, um, yet again, grinding teeth towards the back. But its most defining feature is, of course, the very large horn or crest that is protruding from its head. Yeah, this is a really large animal. It's, uh, what do you say, 20 or 30 feet long. It's, it's the, you could almost walk under its belly. The bottom of its belly is four and a half, maybe five feet off the ground. It's a really large animal. Yes. Its torso is probably bigger than that of an elephant, but also much higher off the ground. Its head is really big. Tail is hidden in the trees somewhere back in the background there. Yes. And this lived uh, 75 million years ago, so right toward the end of the dinosaur era, right? Absolutely. Yeah, these... Typically what I learn when people are out at the, uh, at the park, kids are often surprised how big the herbivores were and how small the carnivores were. And it, it, does, it does make some sense to a certain degree because even today, the, the largest carnivores on land are the polar bears, which are completely overshadowed by the largest uh, herbivores, the uh, African mammals, the elephants, the giraffes, all of those. Okay, Large. we're coming upon a painting now, a big mural from Dale Whistler from Austin. Talk about the mural, how did it come, come about? So this was just sort of part of our initiative to get even more, a variety of exhibits, a diff some difference in the park. This is a Cryolophosaurus photo board. It's got a sort of um, hole, like a cave, where you can hide inside and the dinosaur is attacking you, coming at you. No visitors have been killed here though, right? Not yet. Not, not yet, okay, not, not so you're saying there's a chance. None of the dinosaurs got not yet. <laughs> no, okay, all right, well that's good to know. We've got a family here uh, just taking a picture with a couple of kiddos in the, uh, in the cut out of the cave there. So yes. Good way to get some good pictures to Absolutely, take back home. Absolutely, yeah. It's, it's very popular. People like to go in there, you hide in the cave, Cryolophosaurus is coming at you. The uh, proportions are not perfect because it is a 2D representation and it's sort of uh, stylized, done like, a, uh, like it is coming at you from, from the from the back. Yeah, there's but, a lot of uh, a lot of art involved in making these things. Absolutely, uh, this is definitely a neat thing. Have you tried to make one yourself? Not personally. Not we we haven't done any in-house sculptures. We've sourced them from multiple multiple sources, but none of them are directly from here. Uh, speaking of art, this almost looks like it's make believe, but it is the Carnotaurus, and it's uh, actually probably very realistic to what the animal looked like, right? Yes, this is one of my this is one of my favorite dinosaurs. Just in general, and um, our, our representation of it on the trail is, if I do say so myself, quite well done. This was a very weird looking dinosaur, had a, had a much 
more uh, snub, pug-like face than the, uh, the typical carnivores that we're used to seeing. Had two very large horns above its eyes for a carnivore. Carnivores usually didn't have anything like that. Like any, anything, any horns or spikes on their heads. Yeah, so there's, they've not found a lot of these, but the few they found have been entirely complete, right? Yes, pretty much everything of Carnotaurus has been discovered in the initial and only specimen that's been found, with the exception of some of the tail was missing. Okay, and that was down in Argentina, in South America, where they found that one, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, a really weird-looking thing with a couple of horns, like what you might think is cattle horns on the top of its head, and then several rows of spikes down its neck and back, and a bipedal animal yes. with a kind of comically small, worthless-looking arms. Yes, the arms of Carnotaurus were vestigial. They had absolutely no use. They were even, comparatively and usage-wise, they were smaller and more useless than the Tyrannosaurus arms. And all of the media likes to poke fun at T-Rex can't do push-ups. T-Rex had the tiny arms, tiny weak arms. But this, this one was the real dinosaur with the, the useless arms. If the, uh, if the Abelosaurus had lived longer throughout the uh, extinction event, it's entirely possible that these would have had evolved out arms altogether. Wow, okay. Very neat. And the, uh, the completeness of those that were found also gave us some clue of the texture of the, uh, the skin on this one, right? Yes. The scoots that we have on the back, the osteoderms, those were actually present in the dinosaur. We do know that it had pebbly skin and then towards all over the body and then towards the back it had some bony plates that sometimes scientists do think were spikes. Um, we've done the spike option. It could have just been large uh, sort of bone plating. Okay. But, uh, but we aren't entirely sure of what that was. It could have been, it could have been ground down by time. Have um, you had any uh, scientists or archeologists come visit the park and maybe learn from it or give talks? Yes, we've actually had, we just did um, an event recently in October, I believe. We have, one of our friends is uh, Jurassic James Washington. He likes to come down and do little excursions throughout the trail. He explains each of the dinosaurs, kind of like what we're doing now. Although he knows much more than I do. He's, this is his, his job, his bread and butter. And it's absolutely fun. I've joined a couple of them. It's super informative. Let's break out of the program here for a few seconds to give a shout out to our sponsor, Puzzometry, the hardest puzzle you'll never solve. If you love working on challenging, unique, and beautiful mechanical puzzles, then you've just got to try Puzzometry. P-U-Z-Z-O-M-E-T-R-Y, Puzzometry.com. They have three different puzzles to choose from, and all are for sale at Puzzometry.com. Check it out. You'll be glad that you did. Puzzometry can also be found on Twitter and Facebook. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Lume Innovation Podcast, where we shine a light on innovation. Before we get back to the program, I want to let you know that you can find all of the episodes of the Lume Innovation Podcast on our webpage, lumeinnovation.com. That's L-U-M innovation.com, lumeinnovation.com. We are also on iTunes as well as soundcloud.com. So a little bit ago, we, uh, we saw the uh, Triceratops, which is an animal that almost any kid in America will re- recognize. And another one of those in that category that almost every kid sees is the Stegosaurus. Yes. Talk about the Stegosaurus. So Stegosaurus is, again, one of those very, very popular dinosaurs. It had the, um, 
distinctive plates on its back, those giant, likely colorful, but we're not sure, plates that were bony, possibly covered in blood vessels to um, cool it down. We're not really sure what they were actually for. And then, of course, its defensive feature, the large spikes on its tail, the thagomizers. Okay, and this is a, another rather large animal. Its body is probably also on, on scale with that of an elephant, but its body structures are quite a bit different. The tail is a bit way beefier than you would see of an elephant, and the head is tiny. It's amazing that such a small head, it almost looks like a snake or a lizard head on top of this big 20, 25 foot long animal. Yes, the head was so small actually that scientists initially thought that this was one of the dumbest dinosaurs, which was further thought to be confirmed by a nerve cluster that was found in the back legs. However, that wasn't the case. It wasn't actually a dumb dinosaur. That nerve cluster was a very advanced form of muscle memory. It would be able to recognize a threat, an Allosaurus particularly, that was its biggest predator, and just tell its tail what to do. The tail could pretty much attack independently and pretty much do all the math where it needs to swing, how fast it needs to swing okay. for the dinosaur. It wouldn't need to think about any of that. So those large cavities in the n nerve areas of the hips of a lot of dinosaurs is what kind of started the myth of maybe some dinosaurs had two brains, but that's not really the case. That is not true, no. Some, yeah, this, this one in particular was the one that first propagated that myth that, uh, that, double, that, that dinosaurs had two brains. Stegosaurus is where that originates, but that was not true in, in the end. It was just a nerve cluster that helped with the, uh, the uh, defensive capabilities of the tail. Yeah, these, uh, these plates on the back, two rows of them, uh, in a sense they kind of look like the profile of a, of a flame, perhaps a campfire flame or something sticking up. They're painted bright yes. orange and red and in the flame shape. Really big, uh, intimidating animal. I can't imagine walking through the woods and, and uh, stumbling upon one of those guys. Yeah, the plates on ours are, of course, made very colorful. We don't know if that was the case. That was one of the dinosaurs, one of the majority of the dinosaurs that we do not know the colors of at the end of the day. Yeah, there's a bit of a guesswork in that whole stuff. It uh, reminds me of the book um, All Yesterdays uh, put out that, that talks about kind of the science of intelligently guessing what these animals look like based on their skeletons. Yes, that's an excellent read. I absolutely, I got that book a couple years back. I absolutely loved it. It's the biggest thing, one of the things that is regarded for its biggest contribution to the scientific community is the concept of a shrink wrapping, how we tend to put the bones together and then just put skin on it. A lot of people don't really put muscle on their dinosaurs, especially people who aren't professionals, just who draw dinosaurs either even, even the professionals who draw dinosaurs, just those that aren't paleontologists, tend to not really know where to put muscles, where to put fat, potential other things that wouldn't fossilize, like skin flaps, like a waddle, like how birds have fleshy crests or turkeys have their waddles, like that stuff wouldn't fossilize. A lot of people are now starting to do a greater understanding of those concepts, putting more fat on their dinosaurs, making them beefier, more muscly. And yeah, that's a that's something that that book has pretty much popularized. That yeah, came I came across, with that. I came across that book about a year ago. It's uh, Conway Kozman and Nash. And a couple of cool things about that book is one is that at first glance it looks like a children's picture book. And so I think if you bought that for a five or ten year old young boy or girl, I think they'd get a kick out of just just browsing the pictures. Mm -hmm. But an adult who has an understanding of the scientific process gets a kick out of it too because it really talks about the process of discovery of how they learn how the different animals were put together based on the limited facts that we have. Yeah. It's a really neat, neat book. 
Uh, what is this guy up in the tree here? So this dinosaur is our, our only um, exhibit that I believe is an actual dinosaur exhibit and an ice biosaurus. This is Compsognathus. I'm glad you pronounced that instead of me. <laughs> at the time of its discovery, this was the smallest dinosaur. There's a couple that are known to be a bit smaller now. I believe the record is a Microraptor at the moment. But this guy was a tiny, tiny little dinosaur. You, um, if you've seen the Jurassic Park franchise, it made its debut in the second movie um, or in the first book. These were very, very tiny, about, foot, about a foot tall, maybe two feet tall as adults. They're probably very quick. They're probably covered in feathers. These probably looked very much like birds. Yeah, it's about the size of a chicken, I would guess. Um, a way, th way, way more slender body, but about the same size as the chicken. Longer tail. Yeah, and it's neat. Again, you've got it propped up in a tree in a in a pose that it might very well have experienced mm -hmm. during its life. Definitely a neat thing. How long ago did this thing live? This was a Jurassic era dinosaur. Lived in that middle period, the uh, the golden age of dinosaurs, where they were prospering. And you have a, a real live dinosaur here in the park. I'm sure the bird uh, uh, noises are coming across on the microphone. Yes, I think that's a jay. Yeah, that is a jay, but we've got another uh, buzzard or a hawk going over overhead as well. Yeah, we've got, we've got plenty of wildlife out here. That's one thing we do try to cultivate. We try not to touch anything that we don't need to in terms of the, the what's already there, the, the natural landscape. Um, we try to keep it as friendly for the, um, the wildlife as we can for the people like we just want we of course we'll get rid of stuff that becomes safety hazards we keep the trail maintained we keep the playground area maintained but the woods the wooded area that we try and keep that just all natural we get tons of you'd be surprised people the kids will see a giant t-rex they'll go ooh ah and then they see a rabbit and that's completely got their attention <laughs> they they love it they absolutely love seeing We've, uh, the, this trail kind of meanders back and forth through the woods, and we're now on the side view uh, of the previous animal we just talked about. And man, you can really get a sense of the, uh, the spikes on the tail of this. Yes, Stegosaurus's spikes, that was one of the deadlier dinosaur weapons that was out there. It didn't have the club of Ankylosaurus. It didn't break, break bones or really rupture anything with its hits. Uh, Stegosaurus's uh, thegomizers, those were for stabbing. That would go straight through the muscle, the bone, just anything of whatever would be hunting it and leave incredible, almost immediately fatal damage to pretty much anything that it hit. So this has got five or six, uh, probably three foot long spikes right at the end of the tail that at first glance kind of remind me a bit of like a porcupine spikes, but of course way, way, way bigger. But they, uh, they're they kind of similarly colored as a porcupine and, and man, they would not feel good. <laughs> yeah, it had, it had um, four Three foot long spikes, those were solid bone. Those would go Those would go straight through any of its predators. Well, we're coming up on now a uh, big ginormous salamander looking critter called the Kulosuchus. Yes, this is a very interesting looking animal and it was a very interesting animal in actuality. This is another non-dinosaur. This was a giant prehistoric amphibian. This lived in prehistoric Australia. It may come off as a crocodile. Its name is Kulosuchus, Kool's crocodile. Um, named for the scientist that discovered it, Leslie Cool. K-O-O-L. Yes. This thing was not a crocodile, like I said. It's a, a giant amphibian. That, it's about the size of a crocodilian, but it did fill the niche of the uh, crocodiles in the ecosystem because there were no crocodiles in prehistoric Australia at the time. Um, it was the last of the giant amphibians that prospered much, much earlier before the dinosaurs. It's been a little bit dry here the last couple weeks, so this creek, or 
basically standing on is dry now, but it's neat that you've got the salamander right next to what would normally be wet area where it probably would live. It's yeah, we have a, a uh, we have a little drainage creek that um, whenever the rains come, the wet season comes, a lot of the water in the park drains into this little this little drainage creek area, and we of course put our salamander right next to it, right where he would feel at home. The sign says this large aquatic predator lives mostly in fast-moving streams of water, but was also capable of crawling onto land. It would feed on fish, crustaceans, and small animals, and scavenged car or carcasses. Yes. Now we know about the Kulasukas. Let's see what's next. Oh, what's next is a little sign about some of the plants here in the area. So, again, pulling on that initiative that we want to expand our exhibits, just not just dinosaurs, something for everybody. We ha we're putting up more signs about the flora and fauna in the park. We have two up currently. I, I want to get more. We want to get more to explain just like what you may see when you're out in the woods that may not be a dinosaur, just may be natural. This one's talking about the Yaupon holly, a evergreen holly plant that grows berries. Beautiful red berries. This one does not seem to have any at the moment. I've seen some earlier and later on the trail. Yeah, it's neat though to teach not only about animals, but also plants, totally good. The Megalania. So Megalania is another one of our non-dinosaurs. This one's very easy to visualize in your head. It's a Komodo dragon that's about two or three times bigger than a, uh, a standard Komodo dragon. Yeah, its rough body shape is alligator crocodile-like, but its head is definitely not alligator crocodile-like. It's more of drag uh, the Komodo dragon-like, and it's lifting its body up off the ground a foot mm -hmm. or so, and really big animal. What does this thing weigh? This was a giant lizard. It weighed over 1,300 pounds. Okay. And, and th this thing lived in prehistoric Australia after the dinosaurs. This is our first creature that came up after the dinosaurs were already extinct. Relatively recently ago, 50,000 years ago. That's, yes. That's not that long ago, really. It's thought that some of the first Aborigine settlers to Australia may have encountered this animal. This might have been alive when the first humans were settling Australia. That means that this thing has probably eaten a few people. It's entirely possible this <laughs> thing would have, this thing would have hunted prehistoric megafauna, which were things like the diprotodon, a wombat yeah. that was the size of a rhino. So this would have had no issue taking down prey the size of humans. So just to be clear, this animal here has not eaten any of the children been through the park, right? Not yet. No, not yet. Okay. <laughs> there's, so you're saying there's a chance. We've kept it. We've kept it fed so far. Okay. Good. Good. Nobody's messed up there yet. Good to know. Any, any guess of, or any of the science of what kind of noise and sounds these animals made? Dinosaurs in particular, it's very, very hard to determine just because we don't really have, the best thing we have is birds, but birds aren't, for all dinosaurs at least, aren't the best synonym. Like there's not a bird that looks like Triceratops. So a lot of these dinosaurs, you don't, the vocal muscles, they don't, fossilized, you don't get anything of the throat, anything of the uh, vocal cords. So it's very, very difficult to understand what those things sounded like. A lot of scientists are moving towards the idea that dinosaurs worked with very low frequency noises, similar to elephants, something that humans would either barely hear, or not be able to hear, but could travel incredibly long distances and the other animals would be able to hear. Okay, you mentioned birds there, and a common misconception is that the pterosaurs, pterodactyls and such, were birds, but they They've kind of got their own classification, right? Yes. A lot of people tend to think that the pterosaurs were either dinosaurs or they were birds. When they were in fact neither, these were just prehistoric reptiles, similar to crocodiles, I believe, is their closest relative. And you've got Ice Biosaurus number six. Yes. Which is exactly that. 
Espinosaurus number six is actually an Allosaurus. Oh, it's not. It's not a. It's not a pterosaur. Not this one. No. Okay. The, um, we have a couple like this pterosaur. There's a couple of items throughout these woods that aren't labeled in the Espinosaurus. Aren't. Don't have a plaque. Uh, just some little Easter egg stuff for you to find. Some of them are very, very easy to see, like our pterosaur. Some are quite difficult and not very commonly picked out. Just, just so you can have something that maybe you see your second time around, your third time around. Okay, that's what I missed. I saw the stuff. pterosaur up in the trees, but it was next to number six of Ice Biosaurus. So let's go back to number six. Yes. So what is number six? You're looking for a large theropod carnivore peeking his head out of the brush. Found him. What is this guy? This is Allosaurus. This was probably, uh, he's probably looking for our Stegosaurus. Those were the two rivals of the Jurassic era, the, the big predator and prey dynamic. This was the largest predator of its time in the Jurassic. It was huge, uh, about 30 feet long. It was before T-Rex's time, so dinosaurs really weren't at the biting phase yet. This didn't use its jaws to kill much. It was a slasher. It would use its claws to take stuff down before it would finish the finish the kill with a bite. Okay, what we're seeing here is a dinosaur head sticking its head out. I guess the head is the only thing, the full body is not back there, right? It looks like it's the head sticking out in the from behind a tree, yes. hidden by other trees. And the head's maybe a foot and a half, two foot long, green, tons of teeth in there, but uh, those are not necessarily teeth that you say would would help it uh, kill a lot then, huh? Yeah, the, the Jurassic carnivores for the most part were focused on their their claws, as their means of uh, dispatching prey, utilizing the jaw as as the main killing killing portion, mainly came up in the Cretaceous with the rise of the Tyrannosaurus. Okay, and we've got one of those just around the corner up here a bit, right? Absolutely. All right. One of the big stars of the park, our T-Rex. T-Rex crossing ahead, and look to my left, and oh my, look at this thing. This would uh, take a bite out of me in no time flat. It'd probably take most of you in a bite. Yeah, that's probably right. T-Rex, uh, native to this part of the part of the world, right? Yes, T-Rex lived all throughout North America, from Texas to Canada. These had a very, very large range. They were very successful dinosaurs, and it's easy to see why. This was a very bulky, very powerful carnivore. T-Rex was not the tallest or the longest carnivore, but it easily had the, had the most mass of any of the carnivorous dinosaurs. This was an incredibly muscular, incredibly heavily built, had one of the strongest bite forces, probably the strongest bite force of any animal ever to live. And uh, as you mentioned earlier, there's been a lot of jokes or comments about the uh, wimpiness of the front arms, and compared to the rest of the body, they are rather small, but in kind of absolute terms, they're not exactly small. They're two or three feet long, and it's weird that there's two claws there. What's up with the two claws on the front arms? It's not really well known about that. The arms, like you said, they're not actually small compared to us. They were actually probably both larger and stronger than any human arm could get. But those two claws, it's thought that T-Rex might have had a very small third finger, but that was on the way of phasing itself out. It wasn't really that necessary. The small arms aren't really thought to be used for much. Scientists put it anywhere from sort of like a meat hook to hold on to struggling prey before the mouth could deliver the final blow or possibly for mating to just sort of hold on to each other before they were ready to mate. Okay, so this animal is 16 feet tall, 40 feet long, and weighs six tons. T-Rex here is in kind of pretty much the same pose you've seen all T-Rex pictures in your life, but it wouldn't be much of a stretch to 
kind of reimagine this thing with more of an upright stance. Uh, how do we know, or how do, why do we think that it was more of a horizontal stance instead of an upright stance? So initially, in fact, dinosaurs were built as upright standing animals. Dinosaurs were initially thought to be very large, slow-moving animals. They're pretty much built as large, large lizards. Just upscaled iguanas. One of the first dinosaurs that was discovered was Iguanodon, and that name comes to what people were thinking that it may have looked like. T-Rex was no exception to that. It was pretty early, early, pretty early discovery in the terms of dinosaurs. The earliest depiction of T-Rex, it was standing on its hind legs upright like a human. It dragged its tail on the ground. But we know now with updated science, just how the bones fit together, it's, it stood with its back pretty much parallel to the ground. Its tail was a counterbalance. Okay. So it could support that incredibly heavy and incredibly bulky mass in the front of it, that large head, that large body. A little fun fact, you see most of the, uh, pretty much all, as far as I'm aware, of the bipedal dinosaurs, bipedal carnivores, or the uh, bipedal herbivores. They don't have any tail weapons like you'll see in Stegosaurus or um, Ankylosaurus because they need that tail for balance. If they started swinging that around, they would fall over. I see, okay. Uh, there's getting to be a bit more of a movement. The dinosaurs had feathers. Talk about that a bit. So that was initially a thing, pretty much right as we were discovering that dinosaurs may have been related to birds. A lot, we, um, we found the similar evidence that was uh, a lot of the dinosaurs did have feathers. We found feather impressions in some of our smaller uh, dromaeosaurid-looking dinosaurs. And that sort of led to a movement that happens relatively commonly in paleontology, where someone says, some dinosaurs had feathers, so people take that as all dinosaurs had feathers. So a lot of people tended to overfeather, just put feathers on everything, and we're now sort of dialing back on that. A lot of people are understanding that not all dinosaurs had feathers. A lot of dinosaurs, in fact, didn't. It was spread few and far between. The actual evidence of what dinosaurs that had feathers is surprisingly low. A lot of people had been, for the past about maybe five years, feathering T-Rexes. Okay. Now we're pretty much well aware that most of T-Rex's body we have a couple of T-Rex skin impressions. All of them so far don't have feathers. So it's possible that it had some feathering, like maybe a, maybe a crest of feathers or something on the tail, but um, most of its body was scaly. Yeah, that just reinforces there's so little known about these in the grand scheme of things. Only, only known 700 or so species over the millions of years that they lived. This is a large alligator-like thing. Yes. This is Dinosuchus. It is built exactly like an alligator or a crocodile, just way bigger than anyone that would exist today. These creatures were, it's not really anything different. It's this exact same body plan as a modern crocodilian. And, and they lived exactly the same way. They lived in rivers, streams, possibly the oceans, like saltwater crocodiles. And they would just bring down anything that came for a drink, They probably even dinosaurs. Yeah, a really big, uh, I mean, here in Texas and Louisiana stuff, uh, a really big alligator on occasion to come in and you, you, you'll, you'll hear someone getting one that's a 15-footer or so. This is more than twice that. It's 35 feet long. Yes. So I would guess it still it lived in the areas where modern-day alligators... Yes, it lived, yeah. um, it lived pretty much anywhere there was water. It was relatively common in um, North America, specifically the South. It was thought to have possibly been in the... Um, in the ocean, like the saltwater crocodiles, they, a lot of, have been found towards the Gulf, the Gulf of Mexico. So that's making a lot of scientists believe that this could have lived in salt water. Okay, and I like it on the signs. On occasion, you have the little Texas there that says that the animal was native to this part of the world. That's a yes. We good have a thing. little. We are in Texas. We all have our Texas pride. The dinosaurs and prehistoric animals that were found in Texas that were discovered there, 
here where we live, they do have that little stamp in the corner that tell us that this dinosaur is native to our homeland. Well, we're only a few days uh, beyond Thanksgiving, and this would make one hell of a Thanksgiving turkey. Talk about the Kalinkin. So Kalinkin was a giant bird. This is another one of our dinosaurs, well, non-technically dinosaurs, it's a bird. This is our, one of our critters that lived after dinosaurs. This lived in the Miocene in just 15 million years ago. These were giant prehistoric birds. They were not very friendly, in fact. They gained that niche that the dinosaurs lost when they went extinct. They were the big bipedal predator. They had the large head. It's built very similarly to a lot of the dinosaurs that we've seen. And these were, these were hunters. They were colloquially known as the terror birds. And it is, it is terrifying looking. It, it looks oh, like yeah. a turkey or a chicken that's just, you know, it's 10 feet tall, 12 feet tall. The beak on it is a couple feet long. The, the lower parts of the legs are what you would expect out of a bird's legs, but just ginormous. It, it's, I can't imagine a handful of these coming through the woods uh, coming at you. Yeah, these were built for, for running, for, for kicking, and for um, slashing or hacking with that beak. These were probably very efficient animals. They lived in South America and were, and the, the whole terror bird clan lived in both North and South America. They were thought to have been competing in the top of the food chain f with the saber-toothed cats, the smilodons, and the, their relatives. And it's entirely possible that the, they had lived, that these lived long enough that they may have been around when the first humans were crossing the land bridge over to um, North America. Okay, talk about the name on it. The name is, does not sound like the other dinosaur names we've come across. Is there any magic there to where, where that name origin's from? That name origin, as far as I can determine, I, I wasn't able to determine much of my research when I was uh, looking into this animal. I know it was discovered and named for a local god. Okay. Um, where it was discovered. Um, I wasn't able to determine what deity that was, if it was named just Kalinkin or something similar to that. Yeah, Kalinkin is a weird uh, word compared to the other dinosaurs. K-E-L-E-N-K-E-N. Yeah. It's a large carnivorous bird. Really scary looking dude. Have you had any uh, guests come in and uh, talk about evolution versus creationism? We try to keep everything just educational here. Um, we're open to all mindsets. It's absolutely just up to you what you want to believe. Like this can, this can be just a, just an attraction for, for fun. We open to everybody just regardless of what your mindset is. It can be just a fun walk in the woods with some giant cool creatures. This can be completely educational. Yeah, we're open to to everyone, we don't. We aren't really here to disprove anything. Yeah, I understand. We're not, yeah, we're, yeah, we're not really, we're postulating what we know, what we're aware of in the fossil record. We're not trying to say this is the only truth, this is absolute, we're just, we're here to educate. Yeah, okay. We're right around the corner from one of your newest exhibits, but I also see a little area here that is under construction. Uh, what's gonna be going on in here? So this was, it was actually out before, this was a uh, Tyrannosaurus nest. This was one of our more speculative exhibits. We've never found a uh, Tyrannosaur, either egg or hatchling. Some scientists actually believe they may have given live birth. Oh, but um, that would be a whole other uh, branch of dinosaurs because that's, that's a mammal thing, right? To do live birth. Yeah, some reptiles do, but um, um, there are, I know some snakes do, some pythons. Okay. But um, it is largely a mammal concept of live birth. I don't believe any birds do that, which the dinosaurs are more closely related to. Got it, okay, so, so, uh, so that... So yeah, it's just a nest that kids can sit in, sit with a baby tyrannosaur that's hatching out of its eggs. 
but that one's being currently redone, repainted, and uh, given a new finish so it can hold up. Got it, okay. Better. And it's not only about the big old dinosaurs, this is also a little exhibit here about insects. Yes, usually when I bring people here or do tours, a lot of people are not fond of this guy, Arthur Pleura. This is a, uh, a giant relative of millipedes and centipedes, but it was uh, six feet long. This was yeah. a massive creepy crawly that lived before the dinosaurs in the Carboniferous era. Yeah, it definitely looks like a big centipede or millipede, but it's six, seven foot long. It's, it's an amazingly intimidating large bug. Would it, it's still considered a bug? Um, bug is pretty much an overarching term just for creepy crawly. This would have been an arthropod. A, okay. Uh, yeah. A, um, just the hard-shelled uh, invertebrates. All right, and uh, here is the new exhibit uh, I just mentioned a few minutes ago. This guy is impressively large. Yes. Talk about this guy. So, this is Diplodocus. This is the longest dinosaur that ever lived. You brought up about how a lot of paleontology is guesswork. Um, when I make that claim of the longest dinosaur, that is part of that. Um, this is the longest dinosaur that we were comfortable with making that claim. There are a lot of contenders like Alamosaurus, Patagotitan, that may have been longer, but this was, this, we usually go with what's, what's most complete because science is always changing. There could be a discovery tomorrow of a new longest dinosaur that just throws everything on its head. So we, um, yeah, so, so we went with Diplodocus because that one, we know how large it was um, with complete skeletons and based on estimates of how it grew. This is 125 feet long. So describe what we're seeing here. The, the, yeah, the length is impressive. What it's, else? This is a sauropod dinosaur. Had a, um, a large body, wasn't particularly tall in terms of some of the tallest sauropods. Very tall compared to some of the other dinosaurs that we've seen on the trail. It was about 18 feet tall, but it had an incredibly long neck and tail horizontally. And that's what its whole uh, spread was. It didn't have the, uh, the upwards reaching neck like some of uh, the sauropods, the Apatosaurus, the Brachiosaurus but it had a low sweeping grazing neck. It could grab smaller trees and vegetation. It, it filled its own specific niche. Yeah, so like, a, a, is it the brachiosaurs that we see in Jurassic Park where they're kind of all out grazing in a big pasture and they're all upright, yes. 100 foot tall? And this is kind of a similar body structure, but definitely not upright. It's more, very much horizontal. Yeah, these are, these filled, they lived in the same time as um, the brachiosaurus and in some of the same places, but these were horizontally, um, disposition to animals. They had, and it was pretty much not, as to not compete with the, uh, the brachiosaurs, because they were so inclined to the, eating the tops of trees, the tallest of the uh, So this has uh, large teeth and probably a hundred or more spikes all the way down from the top of its head all the way to the tip of its tail. What were the spikes for? What did? So those spikes we actually do know exist. Those were made of keratin, the same, okay. uh, the same thing that you would have in your hair or fingernails or in certain animals it was a lot harder like a rhino the horn is made of keratin yeah and that would have gone all the way down to the back sometimes scientists think that they would have gotten stronger and more um structurally uh structurally powerful at the end of the tail because we do know that that tail could have been used as a whip and that was its main defensive property so if it had some harder structures on the back of the tail that would have made for an impressive weapon that could take out any uh any carnivores that may have Posed a threat. It's really hard to describe how large this animal is when we're standing right next to it, maybe 20 feet away. But it's a third of a football field or more, and about half of it is tail. Well, about half of it is head as well. The body in the middle is, oh, I don't know, 12 feet long or so, and just massive. It's just 
a huge amount of mass in there. Yes. Large head, uh, large long neck, a long, long tail, and right behind it is one of the oldest known animals that we've uh, managed to dig up, right? Yes. Iguanodon is one of the earliest dinosaurs that was ever discovered. It and Megalosaurus were the first two, two dinosaurs that were really reconstructed and uh, delved into. This one was initially made as, like I mentioned before, a very large, lumbering, iguana-like lizard with a horn on its nose. And as time has progressed, there's been many reconstructions. One of our future exhibits, actually, that, that I'm excited to be working on is some, some new signage about how dinosaur reconstructions have changed over the years. And of course, we had to put Iguanodon as one of those exhibits. Because now, you see it, it's a hadrosaur-looking dinosaur. It's hor horizontally postured with its tail off the ground, counterbalancing the front of the body. Some scientists think that it was able to stand up on its hind legs for extended periods of time to possibly run from predators or uh, reach higher trees. Its main defensive feature, it really isn't very imposing, but it did have two large spikes on its thumbs that it could use for uh, possibly either raking down leaves to eat, taking down a tree, like a small tree or branch, is or this fighting one, a carnivore. Is this one of the instances where I remember reading where they, when they first were digging this up, that they thought the spike was actually the thing on the nose? And yes. And they learned that it later belonged on the foot? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. They, they found a very incomplete skeleton initially, and this was before people really even knew what dinosaurs were. So they were putting it together however they saw fit. They were like, um, their first reconstruction that got it even kinda right was done just sort of like a giant lizard and they weren't really sure where to put the spike that came with it, so they stuck it on the head and thought it was a, thought it was a horn. This is a, a large animal. It's uh, um, probably not quite 10 feet tall at its back, but perhaps close and 20 foot long or so. But just its pose and its, um, its personality kind of looks friendly and welcoming, but I'm sure it wasn't. It was a large animal. But probably some of that is what helped it to get a part in one of the Disney movies, right? Yes, this was the starring role in a Disney's dinosaur, the... Uh, the early 2000s animated feature. That was one of my favorite movies as a kid. I can imagine, yes. And that was back when, about when this park was kind of first getting dreamed up, back in 2000, Absolutely. 2001 or so. Yeah, and this is a native to Texas area as well. Yeah, Iguanodon and its subspecies were all over the world. Those were relatively successful dinosaurs towards the, uh, towards the Cretaceous era. We're not out of the trail yet. There's still plenty more dinosaurs to see, but we are unfortunately out of time. So thank you, Austin, for your tour and for your amazing in-depth knowledge about these dinosaurs. If you're anywhere in central Texas, come on out to the park. It's about 15 miles east of Austin along 71 in Cedar Creek, Texas. They can be found online at thedinopark.com. They're also on Facebook at The Dino Park. The phone number is 512-321-6262. Come on out, bring the family, bring the friends, and come to The Dinosaur Park here in Cedar Creek. Thank you, Austin, and thanks for listening to the Lumen Innovation Podcast. I'm Jim Fox, and thank you for listening to the Loom Innovation Podcast, where we shine a light on innovation, creativity, entrepreneurship, and the creative people who make our world a better and more interesting place to live. <laughs>